0: All right, let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. There's a story told about a man that came into the woods one day with an axe in his hand, and he begged all trees to give him a small branch, which he wanted for a particular purpose. The trees were good-natured and gave him one of the branches. What did the man do? But he fixed what was broken on his axe handle and soon set to work cutting down tree after tree. The trees saw how foolish they had been in giving their enemy the means of destroying them. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight is a church that had let the thing that could destroy them infiltrate the church. Uh, I, I appreciate Alan continuing our study last week, and let me give you an update of where we are in Revelation and where we're going to be uh, the letters of the churches will take us almost to Thanksgiving. there will be one week before Thanksgiving, and what I'm uh, thinking of doing is that week before Thanksgiving is doing a wrap-up of what we've learned in the first three chapters, Then we'll take a break for Christmas, and then January we'll start in chapter four, and we'll be there, not in chapter four, but we'll be in Revelation for a long haul, all right? Chapters one through three is a good breaking point to kind of take a little break, and and we'll, we'll talk about Christmas, if that's okay to talk about Christmas, and then we'll uh, start in chapter 4. But tonight, we're going to continue with the letter to Thyatira. Now, um, we're going to read it, and then we'll just kind of walk through it. If you've got your handout, there are some things to fill out, and I'll, I'll try to keep on task there. And if I don't, then y'all can accost me afterwards, and I'll tell you what it is, all right? To the angel of the church in Thyatira right, the Son of God, the one whose eyes ...are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze says. I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent... Of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, until unless they repent of her practices, I will kill her children with the plague. This is the happy church, as you can tell. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I do not put any other burden on you, but hold on to what you have until I come. The victor and the one who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. We're going to look tonight at what the kind of the pattern has been in all of these churches, what Christ says about himself, what he says about the church, good, bad, and then what he challenges the church to look forward to. And the first thing we see is that Christ is characterized here by decisive judgment. It's characterized by decisive judgment. It starts off to the angel, we talked about that, the messenger, the angelic being, probably I think the pastor, to that pastor of the church, right. Now, here's the interesting thing, Thyatira was the least known and the least important of the seven cities. Now, let me ask you a question, because Tennessee has some crazy names for small towns, right? Does anybody got a favorite one? Frog Jump, anybody ever been to Frog Jump? I've, li- I've I've had some lunch in Frog Jump, all right? Huh? Lick skillet. That's one. Somebody else had one back here. Fly. What's that? Yeah. Soddy Daisy. <laughs> That's a bad one. Yeah. I mean, who would name it after a Johnson, like Cliff or Teresa? Right. We uh. We used to live near a community called Nankapoo, and it was right next to Curve, around the corner from ARP, across the street from Gold Dust. It's where we live. We lived down Edith Nankapoo Road, in in Ripley. That was where our house was located off of. And to get over to to Jackson, we had to drive through Frog Jump. All right, uh, I like Buck Snort, you know. Those kind of places. Well, Charles Swindoll, y'all know the prestigious pastor Charles Swindoll, said that Thyatira was to Ephesus what Flat Creek, Tennessee, is to Los Angeles. It was expendable military outpost, 40 miles southeast of Pergamus. It was only important because of its commerce. It had wool and linen and leatherwork and purple dye, especially, and bronze work. That's how it was known. It had an extensive network of trade guilds or labor unions that dominated daily and civic life. Each union had its own patron deity, feast, and seasonal celebrations that often included sexual immorality. The two gods that were prominent there were Apollos, the sun god, and Diana, the fertility god. Acts 16, 14 mentions Thyatira. It only says... That Lydia, whom Paul led to Christ at Philippi, was from Thyatira and a seller of purple. It's quite possible she was one of the ones that had gone back to Thyatira and talked to them. By all worldly appearances, this city was unimportant and the church rather insignificant. But one scholar said, The longest and most difficult of the seven letters is addressed to the least known, least important, and least remarkable of the cities. One pastor I read said, one thing that this teaches us before we get into the meat of the letter is that no matter how insignificant or small a church or an individual is in the world, they are not insignificant or small in the eyes of Jesus. Big or small, well-known or hardly known at all, every church, every person is important. Whether a church has 10,000, 1100 or 10 makes no difference to him. He wants you to be pure where you're planted. He wants you to honor where your home is. And so what we see here is that he is a judge that is decisive. It says that he is the Son of God. It appears only here in Revelation, and it stands in direct contrast to Apollos, who is the sun god, saying that Jesus is the son of God, that Apollo is this silly pseudo-god. Jesus is the eternal and majestic son of God. And then it says he has eyes like the flame of fire. It speaks of penetrating, perceptive, piercing ability to see all that goes on and to see through the deceptive and seductive teachings of Jezebel. So the first thing under that first point is that we know that Jesus' judgment is perceptive. That he's able to tell things. You've probably been around somebody and it's interesting how it's often different people for each of us who's very perceptive about how we're feeling or thinking or what's going on in our lives. You may have had a friend in your life that you're able to walk in and without even saying a word they know whether it's a good day, a bad day, and they may even know why. Now, oftentimes, guys, that's not our job with our wives for some reason. But you know what I mean? Somebody that just kind of knows you. Um, Friends that you grew up with that you you may not have seen in two or three years, and you sit down, and it's just you can understand one another. This penetrating eyes, this perceptive judgment means that Jesus knows us even without us telling him anything. And not only is his judgment perceptive, his judgment is perceptive powerful. It says that his feet are like fine brass. It speaks of strength and splendor. Thyatira was famous. One of the things he was famous for was his bronze work. And what he says there is, even though you have this great bronze work, it pales in comparison to that of the Son of God. He is brilliant in appearance, unrivaled in strength, and utterly glorious as a judge. There is stability and permanence to the judgments he renders. Know that Jesus' judgment is perceptive. Know that Jesus' judgment is powerful. Second thing, not only is the church characterized, or Christ is characterized by his decisive judgments, secondly, we see that the church is commended for its faithful works. Jesus praises the church where he can and affirms them in a number of crucial areas. He knows both the good and the bad, and he appropriately addresses both of them. We would all do well to follow some of the things it talks about. First of all, look at the good things that it's doing. It says here that they have been people who have shown love and faithfulness and service and endurance. Their works is the general word for the godly activity. And the next four words flesh that out. There's love and faith. It addresses their motive. Love there is agape. It's that word that you know that means unconditional love. Loving something not because you get anything in return, just because of the act of love. It is the word used of Christ and His love for us. Unlike the church at Ephesus, their love for Christ had not grown cold. But unlike the church at Ephesus, we'll find out in a minute, their love for the truth had. Faith there is not so much as... um, Faith there is not so much the, the uh, like we think you just got to have faith, you got to have faith. It, it is the living life with a complete understanding of the power of God. And he says that love and that faith has led to service. Literally, acts of a deacon. Deaconia. It's a service that's happening. And patience, long-suffering, steadfastness. A person with a servant spirit is one who will give himself deliberately, voluntarily, sacrificially, joyfully to others in order that he may help meet the goals and needs of their lives. He will walk away from his own concern, his private affairs, and give himself, his time, his wisdom, his knowledge, his gifts in order to help other people succeed. The qualities of a person with a genuine spirit's attitude will exhibit a spirit of humility, willing to stoop to serve on another, but never asking for recognition loyal, loving, patient, dependable. Five things listed there that we could all ascribe to. Then I want you to notice this. There should be things that continually grow in our lives. I love how he says the works that you're doing now are better than the works you used to do. Now, the truth is, The truth is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, our lives ought to continually grow in how we're living and serving the Lord. Um, I've used this illustration before, but I I just like the, the picture I get in my mind when I see it, and it may not resonate with anybody else. When I was growing up, my grandmother, we used to stay with her during the summer, and there were two or three shows that were on her TV every day. And this was not in the day when you had multiple TVs in the house. So if you wanted to watch TV, you watch Granny's shows. And Granny would always tell us, I don't ever go to anything on the foreign channels. Now, the foreign channels were anything but ABC, NBC, and CBS. So you didn't watch anything on the foreign channels at Granny's house, all right? Because she didn't know what kind of territory you were going to get into, all right? So we watched. Now, Granny loved one show, One Life to Live. Is that one still on? They've canceled all those soap operas, I think. I don't know if it's still on, but Granny watched it every day. And we had a VCR, but she didn't believe that thing should be operated. So we didn't tape it. We watched it. Lunch had to be done and the table cleared by 1 o'clock when that show came on. All right? There was another show in the morning that she watched that was a morning talk show out of Memphis that she watched every day. And the last show she watched every day at 10 o'clock every morning was The Price is Right. And at Granny's house, of the three options I had to watch TV, it was by far the best option, all right? And my the game that used to make me nervous, you know, like, oh, are they going to win, was that game where they had the climber on the mountain, you know what I'm talking about? And it would yodel, yodel, you know, that whole thing. They still have it. And it would creep up that mountain, and that, you, know, you didn't know where it was going to stop. You're, oh, it stopped. And then when it went over the edge, all right? Well, I've said before that living the Christian life ought to be a lot like climbing that mountain. It's a steady progress. We may get stopped every now and then, but we just keep pushing forward. Now, except for the part where we fall off the cliff at the end, if you want to picture that as the day we journey on into Beulah Land, you can do that, all right? But the point is it ought to be a steady progression Towards being more like Christ. And it says here that this church had shown in some areas that progression. But he had a problem with them, right? Christ condemns them, or the church is condemned, for excessive tolerance. Sin should never be swept under the rug, tucked away in a closet, or hidden in a corner. It must be confronted and dealt with. Jesus gives a direct, almost takes your breath away the way he goes after this church. There are four things in this passage that churches must guard against. And the first one is a problem with personality. He says, you allow that woman Jezebel to teach. Tell me what you know about Jezebel from scripture. Who's Jezebel? Who was she married to? Ahab, good king or bad king? Bad king. Jezebel, good or bad compared to Ahab? Bad. So you got bad on bad, right? What what is Jezebel known for? What'd she do? Well, in yeah, in Revelation, there's that. That's a that's a different one. In the Old Testament, with Ahab, she's the one that at the prophets of Baal with Elijah, you know, at the Mount Carmel, and, you know, they, they have that. She's the one that Nabah, she wants to a vineyard. There's a little vineyard over there by the king's place and she wants it and he won't give it up so she has him falsely accused. She was a bad woman. I found this introduction. How many of you have ever heard of a sermon called Payday Sunday? Anybody ever heard of that? Maybe perhaps the most famous sermon of the 20th century. A guy named R.G. Lee preached it over a thousand times. And in that sermon, it's the sermon about Naboth and Jezebel and Ahab, this is his description. He introduces Jezebel, daughter Ethbaal, king of Tyre, wife of Ahab, a king's daughter and a king's wife, the evil genius at once of her dynasty and of her country. Infinitely more daring and reckless was she in her wickedness than was her wicked husband. Masterful, indomitable, implacable, and a devout worshiper of Baal, she hated anyone and everyone who spoke against or refused to worship her pagan God. As blunt in her wickedness and as far brazen in her lewdness was she as Cleopatra, fair sorceress of the Nile. She, all the subtle and successful scheming of Lady Macbeth, all the adulterous desire and treachery of Potiphar's wife, all the boldness of Mary, Queen of Scots, all the cruelty and whimsical imperiousness of Catherine of Russia, all the devilish infamy of Madame Pompadour, and doubtless all the fascination of personality of a Josephine of France. Most of that, which is bad in all evil women, found expression through this painted viper of Israel. She had that rich endowment of nature, which a good woman ought always to dedicate the service of her day and a generation, But alas, the idolatrous daughter of an idolatrous king, of an idolatrous people, engaging with her maidens in worship under Ashereth, the personification of the most forbidding obscenity, uncleanness, and sensuality, became the evil genius who wrought wreck, brought blight, and devised death. She was the beautiful and malicious snake coiled upon the throne of the nation. R.G. Lee had a way with words sometimes. So the point here is, he's not talking about the actual Jezebel here. And more than likely, that's not her name. But it's what she represents. She was a literal woman, clever in speech, impressive in personality. She would have been one people would have been drawn to. And it ought to remind us that anything or anyone who gets our eyes off the Lord Jesus... Is not of God. The impressiveness of their gifts, their abilities make no difference. Indeed, the greater the gifts, the greater the danger. So it must guard against a personality problem. It must guard against an authority problem. This is interesting. He says this. Who called her a prophetess? Who does he say called her a prophetess? Herself. She is a self proclaimed prophetess. Not ordained by God, it was her. There's a legitimate gift of prophecy, and it may involve women. Anna and Luke 2, Philip's daughters in Acts 12, uh, also in Joel 2, 28, Acts 2:17, 1 Corinthians 11:5. 5. So it's not just, well, she's a woman, she can't be a prophet. The point is, this woman was not a prophet. Chuck Swindoll said that she would have been deceptive, dominant, scheming, and wicked. The church must guard against someone like that the church must guard against a theology problem she taught and seduced the servants of christ her doctrine was attractive and seductive at first it would have seemed deep and um, perceptive and wow listen to what she's saying the scripture she may have even mentioned some scriptures they would have been new and exciting but they would have taken people away from jesus they would have promised freedom but delivered bondage they would have promised life, but produced death. They would promised to exalt Jesus, but in fact, they dethroned him. Theology matters. Truth matters. We must be on guard against the theology problem. And we must be on guard against the morality problem. She told him, it doesn't matter. God knows what's happening on the inside. We're free in Christ. Listen, in their day and age, to be a part of the guild, to be a part of business, you had to go to these festivals, you had to go to these feasts. She says, listen, it doesn't matter what you do at the feast." Join in so you think you can have good business. Jesus knows what's going on on the inside. She would have said, He knows your heart and the devotion of your soul. It's not a big deal to God. It should not be a big deal to you. But she was wrong. Immorality, idolatry, are a big deal to God. God calls us to holiness, not harlotry. God calls us to purity, not perversion. God calls us to fidelity, not adultery read this week a story about the king that came after King James. And King James had the Bible. Uh, The reason it's called the King James Bible is not because King James wrote it, but because he wanted it written. So he got some scholars together and they wrote it. And after the next came along, he wanted a hundred more copies printed. Well, they didn't have printing presses, so how did you print? You wrote it. Well, one of the scholars made a mistake in the first copy that went through the rest of them. And they left out a three-letter word, and it was the word not. In the Ten Commandments, in Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so when the Bibles went out, they read, Thou shalt commit adultery. He was a little upset that that mistake had been made. Now, today, there might be some people that would take that and run with it. uh, Just to to show you the depth to which our culture in some ways has fallen. Uh, I read, I don't know if you all know this, but the NBA is not playing this season for a while. They are locked out unless something's happened. I really don't care, but people do, all right? And uh, some of the players are going to Europe to play. They're going overseas. We're going to play overseas. We're not going to have a season here. Uh, They're going to go over there and play. And one guy I saw... Uh, I was just reading some stuff, and they said, well, how are they getting over there? And one said, well, they have sponsors. This one guy's going back to Spain, and his sponsor is an American company that is an online company whose job is to connect married people with other married people for the purpose of finding enjoyment outside of their marriage. They have billboards up in major cities. And you just thought, how can that even be? I mean, now it's not something that our culture is like, wow, that's great. But that even it can exist shows the depth to which we've fallen. When the church looks anything like a world like that, it's a sick church. When the church acts anything like the world like that, it's an impotent church. When the church plays with the world like that, it's a pathetic church. And Thyatira is that church. Now, Here's the last two things. The cardinals are already playing and I'm not even done with the Bible study, right? Here's the last two things. We need to realize that the church is corrected with godly discipline. Look at verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to repent. We see there that God is fair. Repent is two times in this verse. There's time there. She said no. He said, if you say no, judgment's going to fall. We see in verse 22 that it's going to be full. I'll throw under her sick bed those that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. The sick bed is what it means. It means that she'll have some kind of sickness or pain. She's not going to be profitable. And that those that are with her will have the same kind of thing. Unless they repent of her deeds or practices, what's she doing? The clock is ticking here. What is she going to do? we see also in verse 23 that the discipline is final now i will kill her children literally means it's that's a hebrew phrase that that means her followers the people that are who are who are going with her those that are after her it's like um, the children of israel were the followers of the god of israel the um Even some of the disciples might have been called the children of Jesus, the ones that follow Jesus in the Hebrew term. And so these are people that follow her. It's not her actual, literal children, probably. It means those that are following her. But what it shows there is um, that this is a serious deal. And it says there, um, I am the one who examines minds. This is an interesting little phrase. The, The literal word there is kidneys and hearts. Kidneys were thought to where some of the mental stuff went in that day. The idea there is that I will know the thoughts and the hearts of these people. And I will repay or discipline what needs to be disciplined. There's this little phrase in here about those that are don't renounce or know the deep things of Satan. And the idea there is that in a lot of those times, sometimes people said, in order to understand the fullness of grace, you must go to the depths of evil. And it says that when you got down there, what they found was that that's where they stayed. Because they didn't investigate Christ. Jezebel was claiming that they could lead the church into a deeper life, into greater depths. And she offered Jesus plus theology. However, what she actually gave them was a deeper lie of Satan, spiritual ignorance, and no Jesus. Jesus says, stay with me, and I will put on you no other burden. Jesus says, stay with me. Don't follow the seduction of Satan, the doctrine of demons. Jesus says, hold fast to what you have. Jesus is all you will ever need. And then the church is challenged with future promises verse 26 through 29, it's this fascinating thing where he quotes part of, uh, he quotes part of Psalm uh, chapter 2, which was a coronation psalm of a king. And basically he's saying, if you will walk and follow me, you will be kings with me. You will be rulers with me. He that overcomes and keeps my works. Now, some people say, does that mean you can fall away? That's not what it means. Matthew 24 said, He who stands firm to the end will be saved. A great Baptist pastor of old, Vance Havner, once said, Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. Perseverance is proof of our profession and evidence of our possession. Leon Morris says that we have to remember the Christian life is not a battle but a campaign. He says, Those of you that do, you will rule with me. Literally shepherd with me. You will oversee with me. And then there's this interesting little thing at the end. He says, We will receive the assurance of Christ's presence, and we will have a hold of the glorious one. It says the morning star there. Um, what's interesting is there once was one who was fair as the morning star, who fell. And he's just said that some people follow after these deep things of Satan and they find they have nothing. If you follow me, you'll have what he had and lost. Follow the deep things of Satan and you get the fallen star. Follow the Lord Jesus and you get the bright and glorious morning star. Thyatira is an insignificant little stop on a mail route, a military outpost, but there's no such thing as insignificance when it comes to the children of the Lord. And he gave them some encouragement, and then he tore them up pretty good.